Hello everyone and welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Ads Lyson. If you want 15% off your surfing and outdoor gear, look no further. Go to Northcore on the internet and use the code, capital letters, Grumpy Surf with an extra capital F on the end of surf to receive 15% off your purchase. On the podcast today, I have a captain in the Royal Marines Commandos. His new job role is dealing with how the Royal Marines and military deal with mental health issues and help overcome them. In the show, we talk about mental health pathways, mental health in the military, and for normal everyday people, especially during this COVID period. So please enjoy my conversation with Captain Ryan Morris. Ryan Morris, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. I'm a bit tired, but um, yeah, good. No, I'm got a few bits going on i like to plate spin sometimes i plate spin a little bit too much uh, where they uh wobble more than i'd like them to but yeah it's good it's good. All, all said and done family's well i'm i'm smiling so i can't complain too much busy at the moment yeah mate i've got you know other than the, the, the three kids you've got new role in the marines which is which is great so they've just created a position of which is Royal Marines Mental Health and Resilience Lead, which is amazing. So um, it's exactly what what inspires me to get out of bed professionally. So yeah, they're stuck because it's brand new. It's an obviously innovative in approach. Nothing exists. So you can't beg, borrow and steal from anybody else to start creating anything. It's got to be done from from nothing. So, but that that's the challenge and that's good. And it's all basically to help um, with the wider Royal Marines human performance which is really exciting. Yeah, um, there's, a, there's a lot going on, but it's it's like a dream job, really. Do you know whether any of the other armed forces are pushing out mental health stuff like the Marines is at the moment? Yeah, they are. They, 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 are, they are. They're doing it in their own right. I mean, the the, the information that, that all the services are, the information that all the services are delivering are basically, it's, it's the same, but presentationally it's different. So yeah, the army and the RAF are, and the navy are doing their doing their thing, but the marines are a strange bunch of people. We're, we're weird by nature. That's the reason why we we were attracted to this this job role. So how we message and the, the way it's delivered to try and get into a um, you know I, I always say that we recruit abnormal people for an abnormal job. So normality isn't something normal values isn't something that we can necessarily follow so we've got to be quite cunning in the way that we we, we do our business whether it's on operations or even just speaking to the guys so uh yeah that that's that's one of the challenges but yeah no they're, they're pushing out some really good stuff it's just um we've just got a different clientele as it were it must be quite difficult especially from our background anyway where we're brought up and the indoctrination we go through through recruit training and the people that you work with it must be a quite a difficult challenge to try and get people to open up about certain things, whether it's what's going on at home or what's stressing them out to create performance from certain people because the type of people that join are not necessarily the people that are really good at doing that. Like we're, we're obviously the other end of the uh, the age profile in terms of career. Well, you're probably a little bit further on than me, but <laughs> lads, that, lads that are joining now, they're different, not in... In terms of their mentality to achieving operational standards and the commando commando values and the commando standard, 
but they they, they are different. Um, they are more they they're they're in a different generation where it's more acceptable. So you believe it or not, the guys and girls that are coming through now are easier to to not convince but to educate. They're more willing and open to accept. It's more the people that are our our age end which are slightly more difficult a challenge because they see it as well I never needed any of that and you know that's a fair comment but you know what to put it in layman's terms what I try to say to them is you wouldn't drive a car without training you wouldn't you're not allowed to cook food in 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 the in the in the kitchen or the, or the galley as we call it without qualifications you can't teach PT without being a, a physical training instructor. The one thing that we never train is our minds. We, we, do, we do train it, but we just not, we don't know how. We think we know how, but, and so it's just the education of that. So we're doing some fantastic stuff. We do build resilience. We do build a, a great mindset. You know, there's plenty of Marines that go on in their careers to be amazing and fantastic in and out of the service. You know, it's, it's, um, it's a real pleasure to see the, 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 the continual production line. But we, we don't actually train psychological skills, which to me is like, well, if we trained in psychological skills, we'd know the variables, we'd have the education to improve that. So we, if we know what we're trying to deal with and we know what we, we have more education on it, we can pull and maneuver the levers in, those, in that education to improve what we're doing rather than doing it by default. I've got a question for you that is quite controversial. And it's something that I think about quite a lot now that mental health is at the forefront of everybody's mind, whether it's a civilian or in the military, it's pretty much worldwide now and everybody is on the bandwagon with mental health. Do you think that people play the mental health card as like 10 years ago, people used to play the injured card so they could get out of certain things? And I'm not talking in a military sense as well. I'm talking in a civilian sense where it's really easy to go, I've got something wrong upstairs, or I can't cope because of this, because it's more in the public eye. Do you think that's a more of a prevalent thing, or do you think that you're not really gonna see that? It's a good question. And the, the, the fact of the matter is that, the fact of the matter is we don't know. We have more exposure to mental health, and I think it's probably worth, you know, just, stating there's a misconception behind the term mental health. It includes mental fitness as well, um, positive mental health. Um, there's a lot of factors surrounding that term. And I often say it's like saying Manchester United and football, they're different. It's Manchester United is a football team, which is part of football, as much as there's medical um, organization in football, there's financial implications to football. You know, so mental health is the overarching term. And I think we often, confuse mental illness we, we use mental health to really refer to mental illness which is one aspect of mental health so there's 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 a miseducation there uh, from the outset the problem is that the reason why people find it so difficult to understand it is because you can't see it if you don't have a leg or you've hurt your knee you're limp or can't walk and you can visually see something if you have got something going on, you're suffering from some sort of mental ill health, then you can't see it necessarily. Yeah, there's signs and symptoms, physical signs and symptoms, but you can't see it. And I think there is a, I do think there's a difference between 
it's okay to be anxious. It's okay to be stressed. It's okay to feel a little bit down if something bad happens. It's that all of that is okay. They're normal behaviors, which are are given right as human beings to feel that that emotion without question of a doubt. And I think that it might might have got to the point at which where people are taught that stress is a bad thing. And I'm not saying that is the case, but I'm saying that it could be. And all of a sudden, if we're and I and and anxiety is a bad thing and and being depressed is a bad thing um and i think that if we look at the term mental health as a miseducated term then it sort of to me makes sense that if that's been miseducated then the content surrounding mental illness has been miseducated as well by people that aren't overly educated in it so the psychiatrists and psychologists and clinical professionals know but because it's become a a popular on vogue but really important subject there's potentially a lot of experts that aren't experts in it that might be and, and could be mis educating or mis-selling what these terms actually mean and so when you come down when it comes back to you strip it back to stress as a as, as an example you need stress to perform the body doesn't realize the difference between good and bad stress but you need to be stressed to, you need to be stimulated on the stress curve is optimal performance and you need to be in there in, in on that stress curve because otherwise you are lethargic if you sat around in the house all day you become lethargic do people now see that as a mental ill health because they feel down because they haven't done anything I've sat around all day, you feel tired because your body needs to be stimulated. Likewise, you go the other side. If you've done too much, you could face burnout over a prolonged period of time. So there's a there is a there is a game to be or there's a definite mid-ground to be had there. And I think that people you know, what I try to promote is that the 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 fundamental difference in in whether there is a problem or not really boils down to one thing where there's consistent presence. And that is, you know, this is what we've discussed with the clinical professionals in the military um, and wider, is when consistent presence occurs. If you are feeling lethargic every day, if you are feeling anxious all the time, if you are feeling stressed all the time, when was the last time you can't remember how, not drinking to excess? When was the last time you can't remember not having... Uh, an argument at home if every conversation is 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 a heated conversation now if consistent presence occurs then you might be looking at something in the realms where you go in you you might need to seek professional help but if it's not and you know we all have arguments at home you know how many times have you put the key in the front door open the door and you know you're going to get a bollocking before you've even got walked in because the kids have been drawing up the walls and and you're like you can just sense the atmosphere there's no mental ill health there necessarily. It's just life. That's just what happens. But if you were doing that every day and you would, and that was happening for, for a couple of weeks, that's when you sort of say to yourself, that's not normal. But what we do was like social chameleons. And so we adapt to our surroundings. And when someone, if, if you were going home and, and that was happening, if one of your mates came home with you, likelihood they would say, is everything all right? You go, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
because the nine times out of 10, you would have adopted that as your norm value when actually it's not normal anymore. And so, but it would take someone else to say that to you to go, how long has that been happening? To which people would reply, I can't remember. So that, that, is a, that is you telling yourself that's consistent presence. If it's like, oh no, mate, that's just a one-off. We're usually good. Then it's not, you know, and that's just as an example. So I think there is, and so going back to your question, do do people play the card? I'm I'm not going to say that they don't. You know, that's impossible for me to 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 say either way. I'd be, I think we'd be we'd be naive to think that it, it wouldn't happen because it it can be done. But certainly the people that I've engaged with and the people that I have have spoken to over my course and involvement within mental health, I don't believe that to be the case. However, I you know that doesn't mean it doesn't exist let's go right back to the start and work our way up to how you got to the position where you are now so where did you grow up so i was born and bred in kingston upon thames southwest london and um yeah i i i um i lived there most of my life i it was um yeah, it was interesting. There was four four of us, mum and dad. Um, I've got a brother, two sisters. Yeah, it was it was um my early childhood was good. It, um teenage years was slightly more troublesome. Um there was, you know, a mixture of hormones and family dynamics that made it that way. But I managed to find a cadets, which was a bit of a looking back as a bit of a, a godsend for me because it provided the structure that I was probably craving. I joined the cadets at thirteen and the Marine Cadets and I had a I had a fantastic experience and I still speak to some of the guys now that I you know one one of the one of the one of the guys um is is one of my best mates still now. Yeah, it was a really good good experience for me. And I suppose school wasn't something that was ever interested me. I don't know if that's a boy thing generally, like because boys do mature later than girls, but secondary school for me was a was a bit of a shit time. You know, I used to get bullied quite a lot. And I look back at that now and I do laugh because I, if I could tell myself now or tell my younger self what I know now, uh, I'd, I'd, be getting, I'd be getting my younger self into jiu-jitsu, that's for sure. Um, but <laughs> yeah, it's, um, but I, that's the learning curve, eh? And I didn't really get on too well at secondary school, not because of the school, it's just the people in it. I, just, I, I, never, I was never part of any clique, so to speak. I never, I never felt that I belonged to, to, to that. I had more, I enjoyed myself at cadets more than I did at school, which probably isn't, you know, for the youngsters that may listen to this, it probably, that's probably the same. And most, most kids don't necessarily enjoy school as much as maybe the teachers would like them to. But yeah, I, and I, I didn't do very well in my GCSEs, like pretty much bummed out of them. So I had to do the retakes because you need to get minimum C grades, you know, thick Morris here. I had to uh, do maths and English again. But I remember I went to a different secondary school. It was an all-girls school, Coombe Girls School. And I was the first intake of boys. So there's 11 boys in a whole girls school, which was a really, really mad experience because girls are a little bit more touchy-feely than boys. Was it all boys or mixed? Mixed, yeah. So yeah. mixed. So you you wouldn't have had it. You, you, you'll understand it. But if you ever go to an all-boys school, personal space is defendable. So if you get in someone's personal space, that's fight terror. That's fight language. You know, when you're that age, you just you just don't you just don't do it. It's like you know, defenses go up, missiles come out, and it's like get out of my face. You know, 
Whereas girls, they don't communicate like that. Girls are hand on knee, they're hand on shoulder, they're very tactile. So it's a really strange experience for me going from one school to the other and sitting there thinking, what on earth is going on here? But, you know, what I did, what I really liked, there was a couple of teachers, uh, I still speak to one of them now, um, every now and then, who basically gave me the time of day. And even though I was a bit of a bit of a fuck up, at, at, at sick form as well but basically gave me the time of day and I'll never forget that where there was belief in my potential even though that I wasn't showing it at the time and I remember I think her name was Miss Wood she was the maths teacher and I did a, like, a stupid little story but I remember doing trigonometry a mental like subject and we did the first module that term I got 100% in it because it's like she was speaking English yet my previous maths teacher was speaking Chinese to me it was just crazy but there was people that that believed in me and and so I went on I did my A-levels and then and then one day I remember sitting down at the the table and I was sitting down in my house through no real provocation and I just jumped up got on the train and went into London to sign up for the Marines yeah it was um I don't remember why. It was just, it just did, just did it. Just got up and went and signed and went to the careers office at the Strand. Well, subconsciously, that's already ingrained in you from being at the cadets. Yeah, I mean, it probably was, but there was a lot of my friends at the time that, I don't know, I, we, we had different, different visions on what we wanted. And so had I stayed around at home, I genuinely believe that I wouldn't have done the th I wouldn't have done the things that I've done done up to this point. Definitely not. I sort of broke broke the mold a little bit and and put myself out there without even realising that I was doing that. And it was just a bit of a spur of the moment reaction. At 19, I went, well, I'm just going to go and join join the Marines. And I remember coming back home and saying to my mum, "Oh, by the way, I've just signed up for the Marines." And she like, "What?" Like it was, and that was it. Really, the re the rest is history, you know. But it was a bit of a strange. It's like an epiphany. Oh, that'd be a good idea. And off you go, you know. You must have been at a point where you just kind of sat around. There was not much going on. You didn't really... We talk about life structures. There kind of been that much going on in your life at that point. And you're like, you, you must have just kind of been sat there. I know, I never had this, but I know some people that have that just kind of sat there going, what am I going to do now? Because some people aren't travel orientated. They mm. don't want to go and travel around the world or they haven't been involved in that that sort of like group of people that are really, really open-minded or have had family members or friends that have gone traveling around the world. So if you haven't been exposed to that, then it wouldn't really go through your head. I wanted to because I was like heavily into surfing even when I was younger. It was one of the things that I really wanted to do. And I was really lucky enough to go to New Zealand and Australia, you know, when I was 16, 17 and, and be able to go and do those things. But they weren't long periods of time away. And I could imagine just being sat there going, OK, I've done my A-levels. I've finished school now. I don't really want to get a normal person job. I'll do that because you'd already been exposed to being in the Marine Cadets anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, I look back now, I know so much more. And I mean, this is going to sound silly because I'm 39 but I know so much more about myself than I than than I did the, the before. And, and on reflection, I think I'm someone that needs to have a goal and a focus. 
I can't just, I'm not, and I think everyone's like that to an extent, but I absolutely need to have, there's got to be a vision on direction of where I'm going. Because if I don't have that, then I start going a little bit wayward. And there's been a few times that I've gone off, off, off piste really. Um, and so I need to have that. And I didn't realize that at the time. And I think that that was probably the driver where I was so involved in, in, in the Marine cadets. Like I remember at 18, at 52 weekends, I was away like 47 of them. I was just, you know, and that was coming to like, my A-levels was coming to an end and I was like, oh, what next? I don't know what next. And I needed to have something. And I just thought, well, yeah, the Marines seems like a good idea, probably because of cadets, probably um, because I needed a direction, but I didn't really realize, I knew it'd be really hard, but I didn't, I just thought, yeah, let's, let's, do, let's just do that. Um, it wasn't like a, 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 a be all end all, I've got to do that or else. It was just, I, yeah, that, that seems to make sense. The mass, the logic makes sense to, you put those variables together, that seems like the logical choice. But I didn't know it at the time. It was more of an impulsive reaction. But yeah, on reflection, that seems to be the way that that came about. Did your kids at school know that you were going to Marine Cadets, or did you kind of keep that a little bit closer to your chest? Yeah, I, yeah. So they, they, some of them did. Some, some of them did. But it was like, yeah, the sort of thing that you could get, you could get beaten up for, you know, and, and bullied for. And I was already bullied anyway, quite a lot at school. So I, I, I kept myself to myself. A few few friends knew, but yeah, it wasn't something that you you sort of swung from the rooftops and shouted about. Yeah, because I I went to scouts. I did beavers. I did cubs. Um, I didn't go. What was the one above scouts? It was um, I can't remember. It's some sort of like adventure leader or something like that. Never told anyone really that I did it. It was just kind of like I think it was a Sunday club maybe that I went to, went to a few scout camps through my younger days, never really had any involvement with the cadets or anything like that. I just thought it was a little bit more hardcore. I never got pushed into anything. So mm. I just kind of did, my, my parents just let me do things on my own, which was, which was pretty cool and experienced things. So, you know, I was never pushed into, like, for instance, I wanted to go and do karate. So my mum took me down to the YMCA and she goes, there you go, off you go. I did a few sessions of that and she's like, nah, I'm not Bruce Lee. So fuck that. Let's go and do something else. I, was, I just bounced in and out of things like that. But I, I pretty much stayed doing that because I liked the outdoors and I, I liked tying knots and making stuff and chopping up wood and making fires and all things that in my opinion little boys should be involved in yes the academic side is brilliant you know whether you're good at maths physics chemistry and all that sort of thing but I also think that society or people should have good core skills and the way I see it and you're going to laugh at this is if there's a zombie apocalypse I'm not going to be the one that dies first and I can look after the people that are close to me that's the way I see it I mean yeah that, that is a it's a it's an extreme but yeah you get it's a valid point yeah if we do get attacked by zombies we uh you're gonna survive eh? everyone around where I live is gonna die I've already I've already got a plan of how I'm gonna make my house into a fortress <laughs> Jesus. Let's talk a little bit about recruit training. We won't go all the way through, but mm. how did you find that whole experience? It was it, it was tough. Like it was really it was really tough. It was um, it was something that it was everything I thought it was going to be and more in a good way and bad way. So the difficulty level I thought would be um, you know 
nine out of 10, 10 out of 10. It was probably more like 15, 20 out of 10, you know, it was, uh, but everything that I, again, it's upon reflection, everything that I was seeking, the structure, the, 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 the common goal, the purpose, which allowed me to have drive and develop determination and, and courage and, and cheerfulness in the face of adversity. It was everything that was me. And that's what I go back to. Like we recruit abnormal people for an abnormal job. And there is no, there is no social, cultural cut of person that, is a, that makes a Marine. It, you, they, they, they come from all walks of life, from every background. It's more to do with the gray matter upstairs as opposed to, you know, what, you know, whether you went to the Caribbean on holiday or whether you went to Skegness on holiday, it really doesn't matter. It make no difference. It doesn't matter what church you went to. It doesn't, you know, it really doesn't make any difference. So for my gray matter, that, that was important. I mean, I, I remember, um, you know, there was a time where I was going to opt out, um, of training and I think it was about week 13 where, cause I had a, I had a, I had a lady, lady back home and it's a really tough, tough gig for the, for the girls, you know? And you you got the friends saying, oh, well, he's never here. What, he's not even here, but like, because it's all young as well. And I remember walking to the office to knock the door to say, oh yeah, that's me. I don't want to do it. And literally as I got to the door, I, I walked round past the door to the notice board, started reading orders and then walked back to my room. I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. Um, and that was, at that point, I then made peace with the fact that you just got to grizz this out now and not looking for a way out. And I think up to that point, I was probably... Well, let's see how it goes because if it does get a little bit harder then I've always got that to use as an excuse and but that was never really it never really was enough because it wouldn't I knew deep down something there was like a there was like a, a stoppage lever that, you know you'll go no further than this as in you can't opt out because that's not what you do and um yeah fortunately I swerved the door and didn't have that awkward conversation and fortunately didn't um didn't leave you know because it would have uh it would have definitely have made my life journey go in a different direction, but yeah, I, I liked it. It was. Um, I just remember. I remember at the end of training, I sat on my bed at home with with my green bear in my hand, and I looked at it, and I went, "All right," and I chucked it in the box, and then went, "Oh, what, what's next?" And you know, you don't realise that the type of person that you are when you when you've done something like thirty two weeks of tra commando training. You know, it's the hardest basic training in the Western world. For it, like other than SF and you don't realize what you've achieved you just sort of like yeah see you later and that's kind of like why why I love what like the blokes because they're they're, they're they're humble people generally you know they're and it's really nice to, to to just be around greatness but it's not in your face and yeah it was um so yeah so training was training was good I look back on it with fond memories but the experience wasn't necessarily what I you know the the thought that I have now on it. From the point of us being in training, what, 20 years ago to what it is now, it has it has changed for the better, I think. There's no more screaming at you, being told that you're shit and you're never going to pass anything. And I had a lot of that. <laughs> but um, you, Yeah, you had a lot of that. I, I, <laughs> I didn't have a lot of yeah, that. <laughs> no, I, I had a lot of that, but I'm still here now. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's where you get that, um, camaraderie isn't it where you've got people that have got the same mental fortitude as you whether they were in 50 years ago during the second world war going to Ratnakari and you know being trained to be a commando at that time okay 
training has evolved, but the mental fortitude and the mental robustness of people going through that sort of harshness is what creates a more versatile person. But I also think that, and this isn't a, this isn't stereotyping. The person that joins the Royal Marines and passes out at the other end, and don't get me wrong, I haven't been in the army, I haven't been in the RAF or anything like that. But from personal experience and meeting certain other individuals, people that are in the Royal Marines are a little bit more intellectual. They can be left alone and be told to do something. Like yeah, the, the, recruiting, the recruiting standards are different. They are different, but that's because there's a different output to have. And the training is different as well. There's more in, in, in commando training, there's more autonomy because that's what the out, that's what the the role performance standard, the what the, what do you want a Marine to look like? Well, what's the end state look like? Well, they want a more autonomous Marine, a, a bit more a, a, a free thinker. So that's what training is designed to do. It's um it, it is to do that. But I think I think it's an interesting point that you raised about the generational training standards, you know, because you know, we're now 20 years in. Guys that were 40 years ago will go, oh, training's easier, this, that, and the other. Well, you know, you know fine well, having been a PTI physical training instructor yourself, that there was nothing I loved more than I relished in the fact that I could cause psychological pain and destruction to those guys in training on the bottom field because it was driving them towards their goal. Not because necessarily, I mean, I was probably a little bit sadistic at, like, at times, depending on, you know, my my uh, mood swings and what the troop had done to either improve that or make it worse. But the test standards have remained the same. How we've gone about doing our business is completely different. And I think that's, that's, that's clever from the Marines because society is not the same as it was 40 years ago, not 20 years ago, not five years ago. It's a different clientele you've got to try and recruit from to achieve the same goal that it's always been. So you have to you have to adapt and you have to change the way that you do your business because if you don't, the Marines doesn't exist. So we've managed, to, and I think that's credit to the to the core to be able to adapt the way it's adapted, but yet still keep the same output. No test standards have changed. The end state is still the same. Final X is still you know the same, other than location and and numbers that might be in the troop, like the, the exercising troops, but. The way you get you get to that has got to have changed because it's a different type of person that's joining. It's not better or worse; it's just different. They're more educated now. I think you got you got the intellect levels much better than than it ever has been. The 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 flexibility and thought is much better than it's ever been. That causes a problem in training because you know initially it's about direct. You do as I say. But we're, we're but we're learning as well, and we can't. You know, the, the day that we say that we're, we're we're amazing at what we do is the day that we fail, and so we've always got to constantly strive to 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 seek professional greatness. And if you don't strive to, and if you think that you are great, then that's the the downward that downward spiral. So, you know, I, I take credit. I, I think there's credit where credit's due for the, the senior Royal Marine Command about how they've gone about their business to be flexible and adapt to make sure that operational output is delivered you know for uk uk defense so yeah i think it's um it's a really interesting but it's an interesting subject because there'll be people listening to this going oh, i disagree i disagree but that's fine but you know we're we're current in this at the moment and i think that it's in it's in a safe pair of hands uh, as, as we sit here now the problem with this and 
this sort of conversation and, and a lot of conversations similar to this, you only have to look at a few Facebook posts, is that people have got their own opinion. They will always have their own opinion. It just depends on whether they want to turn around and go, well, actually, it's probably wrong in the way that my thinking process is. Because people are quite passionate about it, especially with the developmental cycles of how you create a soldier through training. And they've served themselves. They've all got their own opinions on what you should do to create that. It's just a massive hole that just gets wider and deeper. And there are so many variables that are involved with it that sometimes you just kind of have to go, do you know what? Okay, I've put my my thought processes and my opinions in cross. Let's just move on with it. You can't... Do you know what though? It's, it's, It's really interesting because the difference of opinion is underpinned by one thing that everyone cares. And even if it's a negative opinion, the fact that they're saying something, they just care about what they loved. And what they still love, that that brand, that ethos, that culture, that core. And so that's why passions run high in quite what divisive convers- uh, decisions like women in, in ground close combat. You know, women are now, now, are now allowed to join the Royal Marines. And that was a really divisive uh, decision process, making process that when you understand why, then you, you the, the majority of people, they understand why that decision was made. They then don't turn around and go, and, and make those those flash brash comments saying it's not the same as in my day, blah blah blah, because they understand the education, but they don't because they're not. Unfortunately, they're not privy to those the reasons why. You know, and, and on that, and I've got two girls, and I I was I was on the on the side of I'm not sure it's going to work, and I think that that was because institutionally I've been in a male dominated environment, and. You know, you're you're agree. You've got you've got a daughter as well. In the fact that if your daughter came home and said to your dad, um, "I really want to do that," but they won't let me do it because I'm a female, and you're like, "What? Why not?" Because you want your opportunities for your daughter, much as I do, and everyone else does, to be maximised and not discriminated against by the fact that they're female. And so, when you're looking at you, and you're, if my girl said that to me, I go, "Right, let's see about that then." And you'd fight for that equality of opportunity. I'm not interested in equality of outcome. You know, I don't think we should be changing the test standards to accommodate accommodate because that will affect operational output. But if my, my girls should have the opportunity to join the Royal Marines when they're older, absolutely. If they are good enough, they will pass the test to pass out at the end. What I absolutely know is that and my, my, my eight-year-old's already said it to me. She said, and we, we, we talk about this sort of stuff at home because I wanted to be alive to the fact that, you know, I'm for, you know things are changing. It's amazing. Um, the, the 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 shift in in the way that like women's sports being portrayed now and you know it's it's it's, it's awesome and I remember sit I have I have um, women's sport on all the time at, uh, on on the, on the TV um, I'm just a bit of a sport fiend anyway but I want my girls to know that that's okay because my when Imogen was young she watched some boys playing football I said oh would you like to play football she said no that's for boys only and I'm like no 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 it's not for boys only. Said, so you know that the the women's football team got to semi-finals of the you know the world the world cup, the England cricket team are world champions. You know, like the 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 women are really really good. The rugby team, I think, were were they uh, runners up to New Zealand in the last rugby world cup. You know, Six Nations champions for the last three. Years. You know, they're they're doing fantastically well, and I want them to know that that's okay, that they're not hindered by that, and so they have the equality of opportunity to be able to do what 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 they want. And so, yeah, it's, um, it, but going back to this, it was a divisive decision 
that split opinion completely. And I was like, in you know, you've got to move with the times. And absolutely, a quality of opportunity um, is 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 what we what we we need to strive for because you know you see it in other organisations where we I think would be stronger whereby women were in the Marines because what what they would bring is a difference to how to achieve the same goal and we need to be flexible especially in the space of future commando forces that we're working because we just don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And so you want to have as many tools in your in your toolbox and weapons that you can bring to bear, and the more diversity that you have in that respect, I think is is a good thing, providing that the commando standards achieved. So, um, yeah, it was a it's a it's an interesting uh, topic. But yeah, that's my opinion as well. As long as they can do it, let them do it. Let's talk a little bit about your career then. So you you passed out of training. Where did you go from there? I was quite lucky. I I passed out on the Friday and on the on the. I think the Wednesday, the Tuesday, I, I joined 4-2 Commando down in down in Plymouth. On the Wednesday, I was a flight flight out to Northern Ireland, um, on straight out on Op Banner, which was amazing. Um, so uh, I did three three months out there. The final part of that tour, came back, the unit re-rolled into a different organisation, like a formation. I don't know if you remember Commando Twenty One, um, and yeah, and then in the February, well, we re-rolled and then. We went to Iraq, invasion of Iraq in 2003. Off you go. And uh, yeah, that was that was strange, was really strange. I mean, we I remember it quite quite vividly. We were in the is a US helicopter CH 57s, I believe, with the with the bigger ones, the Sea Stallions, with the the seven rotors, the the, the big troop carriers, and the 46. It was like the the CH 46, like the smaller Chinook type helicopters. And we were in the 57s and we were the second wave of 4-2. And I remember like, I was shitting myself like generally because we had 40, like what actually happened was not necessarily what we were getting told. Like, you know, there's a hysteria about an invasion and and about going across the, into a war zone and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, uh, when you realise that the, the Iraqi defence force that they had down in the Al-4 was just a couple of old guys really you know they 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 didn't stand a chance um the the republican guard were defending the key areas and stuff you know but you didn't know that and i just you know the first wave had left and we were we were we were sat down and the, the ramp went up at the back and I remember feeling the the blades lift up and you're like right this is it like you know the war movies start coming into your mind you're like 19 years old you're like 20 years old you don't know what's going on you've never done this before and, and I'm thinking, and then the dust was going round outside and, and I'm thinking, oh my God, like, this is it. Like, you, you, you're you thinking of all the worst case scenarios and like, you're looking at lads and they're smiling, but in their eyes, they're not, you know, and it's all, all that really, really surreal. And then the next thing, you know, the, the aircraft then started to relax and the blades dropped down and we like straight away confusion going, what, what's going on here? And we were told to get off and thinking that's not what the rock, you know, the, the, the pre-drills were. And then we found out that one of the helicopters that had, um, in the first wave it exploded, had electrical malfunction and exploded in the air. And I think there was, I think it was 11, 11, 12 Marines that died. And so that first wave about turned and the reason why it did was because the guys on that were pivotal to the, to 4-2's insertion into the Al-4. And they came back and it was just, it was a, 
can't describe it really. It was, it's a really surreal. I didn't know any of the guys on that helicopter. I was, I was like the the, the newbie, the sprog. So I didn't really know anyone other than the guys that you work with directly. And I remember the Padre, he was doing the rest of the rest of their troop and anyone else that knew those was doing a, uh, doing a service on the, on the landing zone or on, on the, on the HL, on the HLS. Sorry. And it was just weird. It was so weird because that is not like one minute you're at max tech, max chat stimulated going, I could die here, right? What's going on? Is my weapon good? My kit's all squared looking at the rest of the guys. And the next minute there's a service going on because there's someone that's died or there was people that, that died in the, in the, in the, in the explosion. And it was just, I don't know, it, and that went on all night and we, no one knew what was going on. And then you heard 40 commando were getting, there was casualties and all sorts. And it was like, wow. And then I just remember, you know, the American, like no one wanted to fly with the American aircraft, not because the aircraft pilots were, weren't any good. It's the aircraft are old. They're just old and they've got a good enough record or they had a good enough record to fly, but they just, they, I don't know, they, the lads lost confidence in them. No one wanted to get in one of those helicopters, you can, as you can imagine. Well, is mine going to explode then? We're not, you, you go to war, you die by the, by, the, by the enemy. That's that's what it's about. Not die by a, a friendly forces mechanical failure. That that's not that's not what that's not the way out. You know, in that situ particular situation. And I remember it was like sunrise, and the American helicopters flew flew off. We're like, no one know like, no one knows what was going on. And the next thing, you just hear that distinctive sound and your spine start only only people in the military would understand this like a bit bit freaky but that distinctive sound of the the rotors over the horizon and there was i think there was eight um ref chinooks that came over and the lads was like you could see the elation to say that's the taxi in and like in the american airframes you're not you can operate the ramp you can touch stuff this that and the other in a, as you all know, in a in a in a British military helicopter, you don't touch anything other than your seatbelt. That's it. You don't touch the ramp. You don't touch the the gun, the machine guns out the side. That's the aircrew do that. And I just remember the ramp dropping. We we're in our sticks, ready to line up, ready to go. And I remember the ramp dropping, and you've just got the aircrew just stood there like it was hands behind, and he just pointed direct, boom, in, and, you know, waved us in, you know, one stick. Whereas the Americans would just get on, and it was just, and the feeling in the morning of going in and those was different to the night before. It was more about, right, let's do this. Like, we're ready. We're let, and, and it was just, a, it was such a different emotion. You know, same same thought process as to what was going on when you, when you landed, but just a different emotion. I mean, these guys were unbelievable. They, like where we landed, I remember one of the helicopters because they had the the, the machine gun troop in, an anti-tank, or anti-tank troop, sorry. The kit they were carrying, I mean, it's like 160 pounds, something stupid like that. And then their weapons, it was like ridiculous because they had to man pack, like carry everything. And the and the helo, basically, there was a thin road and it just turned, dropped its dropped its ass and opened the ramp so the lads could walk on hard standing rather than the... It was just, I mean, you, you, you're talking about like world-class there and you don't realise you're involved in world, being around world-class, you know? And it turned out that it wasn't wasn't what we thought it was, like the the... The Spectre gunships the night before had just leveled everything. Thought he had a bit of a fracard. That was that, and 
you know, there was a few few uh, contacts in on 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 that tour, but yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. Yeah, it was interesting, but yeah, you know, and we got a, a shed load of leave after that as well. I mean, we had ten weeks in total, you know, and then we just went around the world on on our leave, traveling, just went on holidays and spent all the money that we saved and probably a bit more. But. Yeah, I had uh, I think I had f what four months off, maybe. Yeah, I was with four or five. Oh, yeah, commando. Yeah. And uh, when we got back, I remember I had to spend a night because it was an eight hour drive back home. And I was like, we got back and they're like, right, Finn out. Literally, I think we were back for about five hours. See you later, lads. We'll see you after Christmas. And this was like, I can't remember when it was when we got back. It must have been, was it October? No, because Telic was the beginning of the mm. year, wasn't it? I just remember getting back and I was like, just had so much time off. And I was like, right, okay. So I went to the, um, that's when the internet was uh, first started to dial uh, up. Yeah, dial up. And I went down and I booked a flight to uh, to Indonesia and I spent four months there, which was pretty cool. Mm. But yeah. Where did you, what did you do after um, after Telic? I mean, I, I played around with a few, a few things. I mean, we did, we went to Norway and, uh, and America the following year and then I, I, I promoted to Corporal fairly quickly actually I mean it was within three years of passing out um so I either brown knows someone and they liked it or I was doing a good job so but yeah I ended up on a on a a, a corporal's course in fairly short order and it wasn't I don't know I ended up in I ended up in Northwood so uh, on North London and uh that's where I met um Baz O'Connell who was the Royal Marine PTI there and just got on really well with him we were doing the security there, and we I ended up end up doing a, you know amateur boxing, and you know got me involved. And he he was a real sort of dynamo, real energetic individual that would help anybody, would put himself out to make stuff happen, and and, and just you know I never tell him this, so hopefully he never listens to this. But he was a real inspiration in 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 the go getting. Like he helped he helped me kick on again, you know in in where I where I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. And I remember him saying to me, he goes, oh, do you want to do a PT course? And I'm like, absolutely not, no chance. I said, I couldn't think of anything worse to do than that. <laughs> uh, why would I want to go and do like get, I mean, the the, the, phys, you know, the exercise on that course is horrific. There's no way that I want to do that, why? And he, and he said to me these words, he said, are you scared? And I went, no, sign me up. I mean, I can't believe that I fell for it. And that's basically how it, how it came to be. And I went on a PT aptitude. And I think if you spoke to Dave Hartley, who was the course instructor, I'd probably scrape the aptitude, uh, but I passed it. And uh, yeah, and, and, the, and the rest is the rest is history, as it were, where we you know, went on the PT2s course. And when you talk about defining people that people that are quite have real influence on your life, Baz was one of them, and he didn't realise it. And Dave Hartley was another. And he's a course instructor, and. Not because he was a course instructor, it was, you know, I've already mentioned my teacher at school, uh, a guy called Richard Jones, who, be who believed in you, you know. And Baz, I don't know whether he believed in me, but he just wanted to help me. And there was no gain from it. And Dave, Dave was, I remember on the on the course, the first three weeks before summer leave it was. And I just thought, and it was like in training, I just thought, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I, d I just, I just don't know whether this is possible, like, and, I, and my performance was pretty poor. And I remember going back on summer leave and I spoke to Erin and she said, what have you got to lose? Like what, like what, 
what is it? You know, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. And and it was like, I've always suffered from the little little man on my shoulder whispering in my ear, going, you're not good enough. You can never, you'll never be able to do this. And I've always suffered from it. And it, and it was the, you know, like you get the people that say that don't bother, they don't really try bothering to do something because they say, well, if, if they're like, well, if I fail, then it didn't matter because I didn't put any effort in. And that's how I lived my Marine, my first part of my career. I'm not going to bother trying. And then if I pass, I can say, well, I didn't even bother trying and I, and I passed it. But really it was being scared of failure. And I can't believe how much it like, Everything that I've done in my life to this date had been handcuffed and restrained by 26 years of being scared of failure. And you can imagine like, and what I try and teach my kids now is, is failure's okay. It's, it's, you need it to be successful. Don't worry about it. It's the process. You know, and I was definitely, definitely, definitely a fixed mindset person rather than growth and try and promote that in the kids because I just think to myself, imagine if you had... Imagine if you had 26 years of of not being scared of failing as well as it, where would you be now? Like where, where, what would you be doing? And, and you know, and I remember coming back off summer leave and like we, you know, the camp circuits, there's 800 meter lamp. Well, they, they say it's 800 meter lap of the camp, like the road, the ring, ring uh, road. And I'd be like, last. And after, after summer leave, literally just through a mindset change i was second well i was first to the camp circuit and chris there would always run past me saying too uh, i was what he used to say to me he said something like uh too fast because i'd like nail it to the guard room um and then it, it, it was, he had a set of legs on him chris so he, he was coming first but i came second you know out, out of 11 instead of last and that was nothing to do more to do with the mindset and i'm like what this is this is odd and I suppose that started sowing the seeds in, in you know, in, in terms of like that sort of development. And going back to Dave, like he said to he, he said to me, remembers when we did our circuit training exam, a test, and I'd set my circuit up. And I'm a bit of a miserable looking bloke, you know, six foot five, don't smile a lot, but I do have a party on the inside. And I remember I'd played, um, I can't remember the song actually, but it was like a lively song beforehand. So like if I'm doing any PT now, I'll like play Bruno Mars, Uptown Funk, just to get me in the mood, you know, because I need to sort of snap out of the miserable personality. And I remember him saying to me on the, on the before the circuit train, he says, right, uh, court Morris, are you ready? And I said, well, if I'm not, I'll fail. And I never said, and that wasn't to be arrogant. That was because it was the first time in my life where I'd not been scared of failing and I just was going to give it everything. And it was really like, it was really liberating and I did and I did this thing and like every now and then you will look over at the, the DS the, you know the directing staff to see what they're doing and and there, it was like non-emotional as always but you, you're involved and and I remember it like the hour just went and we sat in the debrief and, and I and I and I think I got like 95 percent it was it was unbelievable and I just remember sitting there just thinking to myself wow what like that was the first time I'd literally not been scared of failing anything, as silly as that sounds. And look at what you've just done. And they said they, they you know, and that, the feedback was like really, really good. And I'm thinking, well, I need more of this. And that's how it, and that's how it sort of like evolved. And 
Do I still get scared of failing things? Absolutely. But I think I've got a better mindset to go, you just got to keep going. Just got to keep persevering with that. And Dave, and Dave was someone that he said to me at the end of the course, like I came top student on that course. And he said to me, he said, at the first two weeks, I didn't even know if you were going to get, get to the first test, physical test marker at week six. But he believed in me and was able to basically create the conditions for me to grow as a person. And that's all it is. And he, he doesn't realise again that he's done that. And you, I don't think you do when you have interactions with people. But and I'm like, I don't forget stuff like that, clearly, as I've just said. But that, that's what I want to do to other people. But I want to actively be in the moment to do it as well, not just do it because that's just what happens when you do it. You know, it's just by... by we always, if anything ever goes wrong, we always have a massive inquest where there's always a big investigation. Why, what, who is, who is to blame? But if anything ever goes really, really well, we never investigate that, why it went well. What was the equation? What was the variables as to why did that happen? Why was it so magical? What, how did that moment be created? How can it be recreated? We always look at how can we avoid a situation from happening again, but never look at how we can recreate a situation that was fantastic or magnificent what was the variables in there that we can try and put in place for next time to get a better outcome than just it being good because it was and that was that was something that you know that's where you know as i'm as i'm moving into now is where that's what i want to you know where i suppose investment in people is where my passion came from because that happened to me and i and i felt the benefit of it and so that's just trying to do it do it with do it for other people and in the mental health and resilience space in the in the human performance it's just trying to make people better tomorrow than today, you know. It's like, yeah. We're kind of moving on to the uh, the latter end of, you know, what we were going to be talking about, mental health. But just talk a little bit about your involvement with being an exercise rehabilitation instructor and also how that evolved into being come involved with people with disabilities. You involved quite heavily with the Invictus Games as well, weren't you? Yeah. Contrary to popular belief, as I've said... I've again my confidence in my own ability has always been something that I've had to fight with and I've always been able always outwardly perceived but I've, it's, it's something that I've always had to fight hard against and I remember leaving I was going to leave the service I had my notice in to leave in 2009 or whenever it was and I realised I was making a big mistake and Baz Calaruso and Bo Beauchamp was a chief and the, the PT um, advisor at the time. I was like two months away from leaving and I said, I don't want to leave. And at the time you couldn't rescind your notice to leave, you had to go. And I remember both of them fought Navy, the Navy Manning for me to stay. And um, I remember speaking to Bo, who was incredible in that, in that decision-making process. And, I, and I, he said to me, well, he said, right, we've managed to get, you, you're done. You're staying in the Marines. It's um, it you you're good. To, you're good to go. And I said, oh, thanks very much. And he says, anything else? And I went, well, yeah. You don't know, you don't get, but it's only chance I could get on a rehab instructor's course, you know. And there was a big waiting list for that that at the time. And he just looked at me and smiled. He said, I see what I can do. And I think I think part of the reason why that was was because I didn't I didn't well, the year I had my notice in to leave I didn't give up I carried on operating at that same level and they 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 respected that so they little did I know that that would pay back in my favour so I ended up going on the course by default really um, because it was just a yeah can I get on that course and I was on the next one and that was it really 
And I remember finishing the six months at Headley Court at the time. And I remember finishing the course, I came back to Limston. I only did three months at Limston because I was selected for promotion. So the year that I was gonna do to leave, leave the Marines, that report that I was get that I that I got was I went to promotion board and I was selected for promotion to sergeant. So I, I did a really short time down downstairs in the rehab instructors um, in uh, department, and then I was on a seniors course. And when I did the seniors course, that's when I went to Hasler, and I, and I suppose that's where part two of my career really started because you know in that time I'd been to Afghan as well, and there was all the frontline war fighting, you know there's stuff you join the Marines for. And I went to Hasler again by default because Bo said to me, right, you're gonna to go to 40 Command. I was a unit a unit RI, the rehab instructor, but I need you to go to Hasler for four months because that they need that needs to be filled and then there's space. And I said, yep, yeah, no problem. I didn't really know what Hasler was. And Hasler was a, or is, um, an, a place for wound, the, the most severe wounded injured and sick service personnel that the, that the Marines had at the time. Well, it was created, wasn't it, out the tail end of well, what I was on 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 Herrick Five. So yeah. when we started getting a lot of casualties, yeah, the complex trauma yeah. back from Afghan, and and that was that was created off the back of a fag packet. People having, you know, having the the vision and the and the drive to go. We need to do something more here, and they that, that's how it that's what it was created. And you you around greatness all the time, but you just because it's normal to you, you don't realise it. But yeah, so they created this this organisation where it was Marines looking after Marines. And it was great, you know, because they understand our our sort of odd culture. So yeah, so I went to I went there for four months, and I said, yeah, no problem, it'd be great, small little window, it's only up the road really, and then I go to Forty Commander, which is what I wanted, and that's where it started really. And and I was lucky enough where I was I was sort of like voluntold to go to San Diego, which was you know a real chore, and. Um, <laughs> And uh, it was it was for a two week wounded in six service. Uh, so wounded warrior games is the military's version of the Invictus, and they have they would do trials. Each service would do trials, where the U.S. Marines would invite other nations to their to their trials, and the U.K. was one of them. And so that was the invite. We went out there for two weeks with with uh, about fourteen Marines, and one of those guys was. A guy called Phil Eaglesham, who is now my is my best mate. He was he contracted Q fever on Herrick twelve, and he's now in a wheelchair. Incredible guy. But he will come up in a in a, in a later dip. Um, but yeah, so and that's where it was. And I remember coming back the bit that where it was a where it was an eye opening. There was a guy called Rosie. He was a, in an explosion. Um, on a on a US familiarization patrol, so it was the end of their it was at the end of their 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 tour. The US were going to roll in, and they obviously send the advance parties out to to get ground familiarization done, as you as you're well aware. And Rosie Rosie was there, and and the 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 US Marine was was next to him. They took a knee, and there was an explosion, and the US Marine died. He'd only been out there two or three months, two or three weeks, and that protected Rosie enough the way he survived, but he lost his sight and his left eye and the use of his left hand properly. Anyway, he was out on that trip and I said, oh, has anyone seen Rosie? We've got a transfer to the airport, we've got to go. And I and I said, oh, I'll go and find him. I knocked on his door in his hotel room and I said, oh mate, is everything all right? He said, yeah. I said, I've got to go because I'm, I'm just packing my bag. And I said, all right, cool. Um, and I watched him walk over to his bag 
he straddled his bag, sat on it, squeezed it with his knees and tried to do this bag that was toppers because he bought loads of stuff for his kids with one hand. And it was at that moment I went, I get it. I, I get it now. It wasn't, the involvement with these lads wasn't about the glitz and glamour. It wasn't about, I mean, it was great that they could go and do athletics or they could go and cycle and they can compete as an equal. But the stuff that really got to these guys, really truly got to these guys was that Rosie would couldn't hold a nail and a hammer to bang into a wall to put a picture of his kids up. That's the stuff that really got them. That's that's the the level of of disability that we're talking about. It wasn't the stuff where you can go look at how well these guys are doing um, and they do incredible things. It's the stuff at home where the interaction with their children, the 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 day to day stuff that like packing a bag that they find difficult, and I'm like, right, there's there's more 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 than meets the eye, and that's where my love for helping people came. And I suppose off the context of what I've already said, where people invested in me, that was I suppose it was natural for me to try and invest into someone else to help them, um, to and and it was meaningful, it was purposeful, and and it was it was something that was important to me and so yeah i mean that led what one thing led to another and we ended up through chance meeting we set up a, a race ourselves it was the rehab triathlon a swim bike in a row we invited the us over we had prince harry harry came to the to camp in 2014 um that sort of grew arms and legs and from that i met uh, a lady called jane kavanagh she's an incredible person who was involved with Help for Heroes and British Paralympics. And she created a program called the Frontline Startline Program. And it was aimed at getting military people into the into elite sport, into the Paralympic program. Because you take the psyche of a, of a military person, the drive, determination, discipline, and you put them in, a, in an environment where they can flourish and support that you get the result like Dave Henson, who won a bronze medal at the 2016 200 meters Paralympic Games. That's that's the result. And so it was not a fast track, but you're using those variables that is needed in an athlete anyway. Anyway, I met up with her and through that relationship development, she's she's incredible. We um, She ended up landing the chef de mission role for uh, Invictus Games in Toronto and Sydney. And I'd already worked with her in London anyway and the London games, uh, just through my involvement. And she called me and said, uh, look, I, I want to ask you something. I said, yeah, what's up? She said, I want you to be the chef de mission for sports. So basically be in my senior management team. She said, what do you think? I said, I'm there every day of the week, like 100%. And so yeah, managed to land myself the, that experience and exposure out in Toronto and Sydney, which is incredible. I think you're at the sort of the bayonet end of military sport and endeavor as it were. Um, it was it was it was something else. I mean, it, I remember being trackside, and there's a guy, Steve Steve Seven, love like him and Claire, amazing people, amazing. And I remember we come out the hotel, and there was two guys. There was uh, Ian and um, Steve were stood there, and I'm like, why haven't they got on the bus? This is this is in Toronto, I think it was. Why aren't they on the bus? The, the, the athletics bus left an hour ago, sort of thing. With these two numpties, they I don't know what they were doing, you know, doing their air or something like that. And I didn't know these lads. I went, lads, you're, where are you supposed to be? Athletics. I'm like, right, well, this is my remit. I need to get these boys here. So Jaguar Landrover were the 
with the, the title sponsors. So I, um, you know, the challenge coins you can get. I went up to the guys sorting them out and they're there for VIPs. Well, as far as I was concerned, the athletes are the VIPs. Everyone else is there for them. So I basically managed to work a deal. And I said, right, lads, I've sorted the transport out. Don't worry. And this, um, this 2018 plate, because it was out of the year it was in, brand new Jaguar turned up. And these lads are looking at me going, who's this guy? I said, right, jump in, boys. And I'm chatting away and... Uh, what's, so what's, what's the story then, lads? Well, Ian basically... Did, you know, didn't leave the house for, I don't I think it was like two or three years through PTSD. Um, and Steve, I can't remember what, I think there was, I can't I can't remember what was the, the issue um, with him, but he was basically, Claire had a phone call saying, get your coat, get the kids, come and say goodbye. He's, 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 he's done you know, from the hospital by all intents and purposes, so 18 months before. So get to tracks, anyway, chatting away with him, get to trackside. And 1500 meters comes up, and these two numpties are in 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 that race. And I'm looking over, I'm 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 looking at um. Looking over, and I'm seeing his kids. Steve's kids are there, draped in a Union Jack. Watching their dad about to run 1500 meters for you know for his country because it's that's what he was representing, and they were sobbing their eyes out. They're sobbing their hearts out because they should have said goodbye to him 18 months ago. His dad's just about to run 1,500 metres in a race. Compete. Like, that was me. I was bawling my eyes out as well. I couldn't, I couldn't, like, I couldn't hold it back. I was like, you know, the, the level of, of, of value that you add to these people, like, I just couldn't get away from it. And that ended up, you know, that ended up being my downfall in the end. But, yeah, it was, um, it, and then you watch Ian who was jumping up and down at the end in front of like 2,000 people. The, the guy didn't leave the house to go and get milk, you know, eight months before. And he's jumping up and down, like, they didn't win, but they won in life. And they, you know, everyone's cheering everyone on and like, I don't just think like the power of that, that the sport and creating the conditions to grow basically. It was incredible, absolutely incredible. And I actually suffered like myself because the next day I was at swimming training. I was sat there. I mean, talk about lows. I want to be involved in the field of play again. I want to be involved in that. Um, you know, I get back to CLR, um, the, the logistics regiment as the transport officer, like the, the following week and I'm sat there and one of the lads went, boss, I don't, don't you think you're really here, are you? And I'm like, what, sorry? What'd you say? You know, because it's just like, you know, yeah, it was an amazing experience. Really good chapter in my life. So how did that develop into what you're doing now? So you've got your new role that you just started at, at the Commando Training Centre, but you've also started a podcast up yourself, haven't you, that you're currently doing the interviews for called Can Can Will? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, that's right. So I suppose I suppose my my journey has been, been a, a life of, I suppose it's, it's failure, there's been lack of confidence there's you know expert for experience you know not that i would i chose it that way but the mental health really was important to me because you know a couple of years ago i had a i had a breakdown at work like full-on breakdown um and i didn't even see it coming and that was the one thing there that i'm like right i'm a bit consider myself a bit of a rough to tufty royal marine and you know i'm yeah i'm i'm uh i've, I've achieved great things as people would say but I didn't see it that way but that's what people would say and I had a full-on breakdown in, in in the office like I started crying and I didn't know why I couldn't stop and I and I remember 
I remember going to see a psychologist and it was amazing. It like it was hot, it was hard, really hard, but it was amazing because it, imagine if you're navigating somewhere and someone says, Oh, do you know where you are? And you go, Yeah, yeah, well, show me on the map then. And you're, you're looking at the map and going, yeah, I'm here. And you're sort of circling your finger on where you are. And they go, well, show me exactly where you are. And they keep pressing because they know you don't know. And that's what she was doing to me, basically, in, in, a, in, a, in a, obviously a good way. And I went, I don't, I don't know. I don't know where I'm actually. And what they did was they managed to look back. We looked back at where I'd come from, realised where I was, and then I was able to change the direction where I needed to go. And my and you know and it was it was incredible um, and it's like a and for me it was like a map reading, which is where the symbol for can't can will comes from. It's it's three directional arrows. Your directional arrow is the center point, and if you start veering off left and right, then we'll pick you back up and and push you forward on your center point or organization center point or wherever it might be. And so, <clears throat> and through like the investment of other people investing in me, that's where that's where it sort of came came to be and you know the the role creation that I'm in now where where the lead for Roaring's mental health and resilience off the off the back of like you know eight nine years of, of trying to or, or trying to instigate a culture change into raw marines not to make them weaker but to make them stronger because if you can be proactive in in any injury or illness you'll get longevity and you'll get you'll get a, a better return for your investment and that's not gone that's not been without problem it's really through like inspiration from yourself really like where well, i called you last year and said about the podcast so oh, let me so i'm thinking all oh, right ads is doing that is he like, right yeah okay i want to do one myself and the reason why i want to do one myself is because there are millions and millions and millions of people out there that are amazing millions of people are amazing that can either educate or inspire through their story or expertise to help people be better tomorrow and today. And I want to tell those stories. And I've had some really diverse individuals already that haven't released it yet. It's going to be out in a few weeks, but some really diverse individuals that will talk about life stuff. So we're talking about like grief, but how could you still be successful through following the loss of someone close to you as an example? And if someone listens to that and takes inspiration from from it and you say, do you know what? I need to move on from from my current state. You never get over grief, you, know, you never goes, but you need to move on with your life. And if speaking to individuals in those areas will help, then that's, that's, the, that's the aim. And if it helps one person, then it's worth the time and effort going into it. So that's kind of like where, it, where, it, where it's the sort of origins and, where, and where, I, where I want to go with it. Yeah, definitely having a platform like this to speak to people like yourself and the the podcast the platform that i have surfing military stories a little bit of grappling martial arts it all kind of ties in together and it's all about relating and having that that commonality of of people's experiences whether they're a high profile person you know the top of their game or they've they're really, really popular, whether it's a top performing sports star or it's just your normal average person. At the end of the day, we're all human beings. We've all had different experiences. And when people are telling those stories and they can relate to it and they might have a little bit of information there that might help that person, I think that's quite important. 
So whether it's your podcast or you speak to somebody else and they're doing something different and they can relate to that and then they have a direction to go, if they have, let's say, what we're talking about here, mental illness or PTSD or they've got an injury and they've got somewhere to go where they can actually have some feedback and be able to go, do you know what? Other people are going through this experience as well. And they might be able to, you know, we're in a day age now with social media where you can get in contact with your sport hero if you wanted to. All you got to do is send them a message on Instagram. They might reply to you, they might not. That's completely yeah, up to them. And, and, that, and that's the driver for it. And, you know, the, the words can't, can, will. I kind of made it up um, on the on the tube and... I didn't realize what I was doing until I sort of pondered on it afterwards. And I did a, um, I did a, a mindset um, teamwork event up in London um, at a gym. And we lo- I was looking at the commando mindset because that's what we know. And you have the values, the ethos, the spirit. I mean, it's quite heavy, I think, to try and tell people about because we just know it. That's what we've, we indoctrinated with it in training. And that's what we've done in our careers. So I sort of just like made another slide and put, I can't, I can, I will. And I didn't really think too much of it, but it worked out really well because it was really relatable to pretty much anything I was trying to say. And that's where it's come from because, you know, if you, I, I put like when it comes to mindset, never mind mental ill health, but mental health, I think needs to be under, as a holistic view, needs to be under, underpinned by a mindset. But that mindset, people, People that are successful don't ever live in will, ever. They will go back into can't. You're at, it's a fight, but the process to get to will is is a known known. It's a pathway they tread because they practiced it and they failed and they understand and they learn and they and they and they um, they move forward. And you know, if you're lying in bed in the morning and you and you wait, and I, even this morning I was like, I can't be bothered to walk the dog. I just want another twenty minutes in in bed. I can't. And then, but it's knowing that you've said that, being present in the moment to go, come on, you can do it. Come on, get out of bed. And it's having that argument to go swing your legs out of bed, you know, like a cornflakes advert and you're getting up, dragging your knuckles on the floor, but you're doing it. And, or it's, I can't be bothered to cook. Should we get a takeaway? When really, you know that you can't really afford it, but, and it's not really, you you eat your takeaway and you instantly regret it after time because you're like, I didn't, why did we just spend 35 quid on that? But you go, come on, yeah, let's cook something. We can do it. It's, it's, and then you will, you will do it. And it's, it's that, it's, even at the micro level, let alone, um, I'm going to run 25 marathons in 25 days, like some people would do, or I'm going to row across the Atlantic, or I'm going to do whatever. That is on the macro level, but it's still the same principle. Still, oh, I can't do that. Come on, you can do it, and I, and I will do it. It's, it's the mindset for me that underpins, underpins the mental health sphere, um, which, I've seen benefit in mental ill health where people to become more present in themselves um, to to fight um, against the ill health, but also improve themselves as well when it's not ill health and it's and it's fitness when you're improving your mental fitness. So yeah, it's um, kind of stumbled across it, but it really works well and it reflects me and my my story as well. Like that's what I was saying to you, the, the little person on my shoulder that says you can't do it, you can't do it, can't do it. And you've got to create that person that says you can do it and you're going to do it. You know, you've got, to, you've got, to, the other person that argues doesn't necessarily come naturally. You've got to create that person, you know, so. Well, I think what you've created over the last 10 years of 
being an ERI and discovering mental health and, and what you're doing with certain individuals is, is, is a credit to you. And, um, you know, putting this podcast out can't, can, will. When are you releasing that? Probably about three weeks time. Okay. So we're going to release the podcast round about then to explain to people uh, a little bit about what the podcast is and, and the story behind it as well. So we can tie that in nicely with it, um, which will be amazing. But hopefully if people are listening to this and they find some commonality with it, you know, I'll direct them to you and they can get in touch with you on Instagram. You've got a Count Count Will Instagram account on there too. So just just get in touch with Mo if you want to uh, find a little bit more direction with mental health. Otherwise, I'll put on the podcast bio um, a few links on where people can go if they need any help with that. Got anything else going on at the moment? I don't need anything else going on at the moment. I'm 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 toppers. So uh, even, <laughs> if, even, even, even if there was, even if I had space, I need to keep that space. So um, yeah, there's nothing going on. I haven't got the room for it, unfortunately. So uh, yeah, I've got plenty on. So no is the answer. Mo, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you on the podcast and thank you for joining me. No, cheers. Thank you. And that's it. You can hear more on mental health issues and how to deal with them on Ryan's podcast, Can't, Can, Will, which you can find on most podcast platforms. If you're enjoying the podcast, please like, share and subscribe on your podcast provider and also follow The Grumpy Surfer on Instagram. Thanks for listening.